Welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers, podcast number 26. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, welcome back to anyone who's returning, and uh, thanks for stopping by and anyone who's new this week. So on the podcast this week, I get to talk to Jeff Rosen, and uh, we had so much fun, um, lots of laughs. Uh, Jeff and I met when I was out in California over the holidays through uh, mutual friends Kat Morgan who connected us in hopes for me to get some tickets to see Stu Allen from the Mars Hotel for New Year's Eve. And Jeff was able to do that, and we just had so much fun. And, uh, you know, we stayed in touch, and I asked if he'd like to share his story on the podcast, and he did. So uh, this was a, a great time. We we talk about how he got into the music and lots of really cool East Coast shows, um, a special little, tiny little concert in a Telluride back in 87, and, uh, and then he ultimately made his way out to California. So I hope you all enjoy hearing his uh, wonderful music picks and, uh, and great stories. A uh, little sidebar note, uh, the recording, it's, it's better than it's been. It's still not quite up to par with uh, where I want it to be in terms of quality of the recording of the conversation. And I finally figured out the culprit was my ancient computer and the whirring in the background. So um, I am looking at a new computer, a new laptop investment for you listeners for a higher quality experience. And um, that's uh, something for us to look forward to. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you are looking for any of the back episodes, you can check them out on the website, www.strangerstoppingstrangers.com. And uh, as always, uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you soon. joining me on Stranger Stopping Strangers. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this is so fun. And uh, and thank you for uh, for hooking me and my sister up on uh, New Year's Eve. We had just so much fun seeing Stu um, at your uh, your dinner and show that it, it couldn't have been a better way to, to ring in the new year. That was so much fun. It was great to be able to hook you up. Uh, that show sold out in 24 hours. So a uh, small venue and uh, out out here in uh, the Bay Area, Stu Allen is very popular, so glad it all worked out. Oh, it was so much fun. Well, you had told me a little bit. Um, I want to talk about your experience as Deadhead, but tell everyone, especially for those in the Bay Area that are listening, um, a little bit about um, about what you do with the uh, producing the dinner and the shows, because that was so much fun. Yeah, you know, um, I'm a longtime chef. I've done all my life. I'm a longtime Deadhead and music fan, and uh, at some point... Uh, a few years ago, um, when pop-up restaurants and house concerts were coming to rave, um, we thought, why not combine them into, you know, a dinner and a show, a pop-up restaurant meets a house concert. So um, we've been doing it about five years now, typically at our house in Oakland, uh, where we live. Uh, it's called the Moss House, uh, and it's a old 1907 uh, place with a lot of character, and, you know, it's kind of funky and fun, and you know, it's not like uh, fancy. But uh, for for deadheads, it's 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 comfortable and and welcoming, and it's got great sight lines for a show. And so we've done about thirty five of these things, and um, people find out through social media. They they uh, get an invite and uh, they pay a ticket, and then they get a big spread of food from from myself, and uh, and then two sets of great music. So it's something that is more of a passion than than a business. Um, I mean, I'm, I am a chef. I have a business. Uh, catering and events, but um, it's something that we just love to do, and we'd love to have musicians over and, and take good care of them and take care of the fans. Well, it was very warm and welcoming and fun, so I am uh, I feel really lucky to have gotten a chance to experience it. We got to meet, and um, and here we are, so all, all, all good. And we met through Morgan, so a little shout-out to Morgan, who worked, used to work with you. So, um, hey, Morgan. Hey, Morgan Wright. How you doing? How you doing, Morgan Wright? Pat Wright, listening today. So, uh, there you go. Thank you. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's, get, uh, let's get back to the beginning.
Nick, you're an East Coast guy. We talked on the phone. We talked about uh, the reverse East Coast, West Coast transplant. And uh, and I selected some songs for you. Well, you selected some songs that I uh, downloaded that we're going to kind of go through some of the stories. But um, tell me a little bit about the beginning, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the first um, song that goes back to 1980. Sure. Well, um, first time, you know, I, was gr- I grew up in New York, and uh, the first time I'd ever, you know, heard about the Grateful Dead or, or, or seen anything about the Grateful Dead was um, when I was 14 in 1978 or so, um, my friend's mom for, for the holidays, for Hanukkah, gave him Steal Your Face and uh, the Grateful Dead, Steal Your Face, and we're looking at it and we're like, you know, what, what is this? This is like weird. Is it, it's, it looks like it's going to be like crazy, weird, fun, fun, funky stuff. We didn't really get it, so we put it on the turntable. It's an album, of course. And we put it on the turntable, and it's a bunch of cowboy music, you know, like country country music, it almost seemed like, to us, right. you know, 14-year-olds, and we really kind of liked it. And uh, so I, I just knew about it, and, um, you know, we'd hear other Grateful Dead and hear music on the radio, usually, you know, Uncle John's band or something like that. But 1980, uh, they were coming... Radio City Music Hall to put on that big run of shows. I was 16 years old, and um, I'm going to go see the Grateful Dead. And a bunch of us were at that age. Where we live right outside New York City, and um, New York City was, you know, a big playground waiting to be explored. And uh, we were going to go do that, and then to go see the Grateful Dead. And so we had friends that waited online, got tickets, and I got to see, you know, four nights at Radio City Music Hall. And we had pretty good seats. And uh, as a young 16-year-old budding music fan, budding deadhead, I mean, I I got my my mind blown that night. And I, I particularly loved the acoustic sets that uh, came along. You know, this is my first live Grateful Dead experience. You know, to me, I'm like, oh, they always play acoustic sets. Um, but um, little did I know later that you know, that was a very special. Uh, run of shows, just like uh, they did in the Warfield and uh, the Sanger Theater in New Orleans. Um, but Birdsong became my first favorite Grateful Dead song, song live, and they had played that um, a couple of nights, but uh, that, that Halloween show was particularly memorable, and that made it on to their live album Reckoning, and uh, just just a very special song, lyrically, um, you know, vocally, uh, the, the little space that they go into I mean, I was hooked. I heard that song, and I was hooked. Right on. Well, uh, well, let's play it. So, uh, so I have. Uh, I'm gonna play the download, and this was from Halloween. And I mean, gosh, seeing seeing them on a holiday always was just. I mean, it was extra special. New Year's Eve or Halloween or Mardi Gras or you know Fourth of July. And, I mean, nobody nobody likes. Nobody could put on a party like the Grateful Dead did, you know. I mean, if you, you were going to celebrate, that was that was it. That was the way to go. So, I love that this is on Halloween. We had a great time. Uh, lots of people dressed up. Uh, people always dress up at, at shows anyway, but uh, Halloween, a uh, little extra effort is made, and uh, it was great. Very fun. Do you remember what you wore? Did you dress up? You know what? I did not. I did <laughs> not because, uh, you know, 16 year olds, you know, we're very. You're too cool. Yeah, we're you're too, too cool. cool. At 16, too 16, you're too cool to dress up. You're not a kid, and you're not a grown up that can make fun of yourself. So at 16. You're just way too cool for a costume. I, I agree with that. Yeah, but I did later. You know, later at Halloween's I would, but uh, not that first one. No, no. Again, at 16, you know, you're not a kid anymore. <laughs> so, you're <laughs> not a kid anymore. I am not putting on a goddamn costume. Maybe no. a tie-dye shirt. So, right on. Well, let's, uh, let's go into that, and then, uh, and then we're going to go a little bit further along your journey. So, uh, everybody enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
song and uh, you're right I mean the lyrics the meaning I mean written for for lovely Janice I mean it's so special it's a special song and uh, you know here it played live uh, acoustically by the full band I mean uh, not something that you that's too too common well you know what I always think is really interesting too when I talk to deadheads about like especially people who've loved the music for so long how the same songs will kind of change meanings as your life goes on. Like the, the lyrics are the same, but as your life changes, things you know will affect you differently, and you'll think about them differently. And when I saw the Dead and Company last summer at Fenway, they played Birdsong, and I couldn't help but feel like they were playing it for Jerry. And I, I don't know, like it was just my interpretation of things. Like I know it was written for Janice, but they, it just had that um, I had that feeling in the air for me. I, I don't know. You know, I, I hear Birdsong, and I just, you know, I think of uh, good friends that aren't with me, and they may not be, may not have passed on, but they're just not with me at that at that moment. And uh, I rarely, I know the song was written for Janice, uh, but I never really, you know, thought of her during the song. But I agree, you know, later on, you know, when Dead and Company would play, and they would play that 
certain songs. Um, uh, even you know, obviously he's gone, but uh, yeah. really it was it was for Jerry. Yeah, no, I thought about that because they played "He's Gone." Um, I think on the same set, and then uh, and Donna was playing it too. And then I thought about the story behind "He's Gone" and and uh, you know with Mickey's father. Then I was. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just mind-blowing to think, you know, that that could go down and you'd write the song and that you'd be playing it all these years later, you know. It's um, it's, it's and, pretty cool. And now it's completely different. That was written for yeah. Lenny Hart, but it's com- taken on completely different meaning now. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, a tribute to people, uh, friends, family, colleagues who've passed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love um, I love when people pull out little handles. Like I've met so many people through social media. I mean, you're one of the few people I haven't met that way. And uh, I always, I always think about a guy that I tweet to whose name is Dogs in a Pile every time I hear he's gone. And it's just such a cool little innocuous lyric to like, you know, like to pull out as your as your handle on things, you know. And uh, I don't know. That's always the lyric that stands out for me. And oh. we think about this dude, that I, or, or or girl. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. You know, it's just talks in a pile that uh, that I communicate with out there in the cyber world. That resonates with me. I have four dogs. Yeah, uh, I have three. Well, that's it too. And every time I take a picture of my three dogs together, I always I always label it dogs in a pile <laughs> because they're always all sitting together in like a little cuddle formation. And uh, yeah, can't get I can't get enough of that lyric. Nothing left to do but smile, smile, smile. You got it. Well, so let's uh, let's go. We're in the '80s. We're on the East Coast, but we're, we've now left New York. So so tell me a little bit about uh, what's next on the journey. Well. um... You know, being a New Yorker, getting ready for college, um, I went to uh, Syracuse University my my freshman year, and uh, you know that's what you know we call you know there's the the, the Borscht Belt up there with the Catskills. Well, there's a Grateful Dead Belt up there too of upstate New York, going into New England of towns that the dead played in. And by by the time I had gone to college at Syracuse, I knew what those towns were in those shows and. Um, I I'm not bragging when I say this, but you know I made it through my entire freshman year of college with a 1.5 GPA because I'm never going to class, only showing up for the test because I was on tour. Right. <laughs> so that's basically how I spent my freshman year. So I hope my parents aren't listening. But uh, not a bad thing. It reminds me of a friend of mine. I know you live in Northern California who went to Chico. Who uh, hey Sam Ham, if you ever listen who uh, is a liquor salesman, and when he and I first sat down to talk, and it was Chico was just so famous for being the biggest party school in the 80s, and uh, he kind of like threw it down and was like, so I went to Chico. Pause. You know, yeah. it was like it was like you know in 1984. You know, like as if someone said like I have a Stanford medical degree. I went to Harvard Law, so you could be like, I was in upstate New York in the 80s. I'm a deadhead. Pause. All you need to know. <laughs> well, That's all you need to know. Syracuse was a bustling town of deadheads. I mean, they had um, uh, kind of a restaurant and bar in on Marshall Street, uh, the main little area a bar called Hungry Charlie's that was very well known as a, as a deadhead hangout. They play. Grateful Dead all the time, you know, at a time when you know, not a lot of people were, were doing that. And they, they had access to a lot of tapes, you know, and, and a few soundboards that would make, make their way there. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, I used Syracuse, even though that Syracuse is a party school, too. I, I didn't know because I was on tour. I, was, I left. But um, uh, one of the shows that we went to uh, that, that one year, I was at Syracuse, uh, was uh, Binghamton, uh, New York. Uh, I think it was April of 1983, uh, Broome County Arena. And uh, that was an incredibly memorable show. We got loaded up in a car with some friends uh, who, are, who were new friends then, but they're still my friends now. One of them, uh, I'll give a shout-out to Mitch Stein, who uh, I met in college. He's a big, big uh, musician out here, big player with Stu and and other bands, uh, plays with Keystone uh, uh, Revisited, uh, with, with uh, Tony Saunders and, and, and uh, Bill Vitt. So it's really, uh, it was really a great time. And what, what made that show so memorable, I mean, it was really a, a great road trip, uh, just, just down the highway from Syracuse, but um, Binghamton, New York, had no idea 
what was going to hit them. Um, it really gave us a feel like you know, there were news crews there. There weren't a lot of people that showed up without a ticket. Um, but people were really curious, like, who are you people? These deadheads, they're, 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 you guys are like living in the 60s or something. I mean, I had um, a news reporter actually ask me that question. You know, you guys are all young, but, you know, you're, you're like living hippie life. Like, they didn't understand anything about it. I, mean, it was, I thought that was just like so cool, <laughs> you know. Um, and this was a time, it was a little bit of an innocent time before the In the Dark craziness came out. I mean, the deadhead uh, credo, you know, you go to a show, you do your thing, you you don't, like, camp out in front of the place for, for days, you go somewhere else, and then you leave the place better than when you found it. So, you, you know, like, the circus came to town and left, and what was that? No one even knew, there's no sign, no trace when they yeah. left town. Yeah, 1983, I mean, the early 80s are kind of a, I mean, it probably is kind of that, um, Imagine like the, the late 70s and early 80s are kind of like almost an insider time, you know? It was like after the 70s, but before the end of the dark when a lot of people, you know, new generations, waves of generations that joined. And uh, I imagine, you know, at that time it was um, like a more intimate footprint. It was for me. And, and obviously, you know, uh, the, the, the deadheads who came before me following them in the early 70s, I mean, that was a completely different situation and this was my time this was when I was a uh, you know a teenager early 20s um, coming into the scene and the the, the, the family and that, that's what got me into the Grateful Dead too not just the music but the, the the alternate family and alternate community which was you know thriving and was wonderful uh, for me to, to make entry into but that was my prime time that early 80s um, to, to tour and, and see the band and uh, that that Broom County Arena show kind of launched me into making sure that I called the Dead Hotline, made sure I heard what the shows were, got my got my tickets for the tour in advance, and I started touring. Right on. Well, that is very cool. I uh, I love hearing this because I'm uh, I'm imagining that time and the, and those people and uh, you know again that that generation and uh, and I, I love putting myself into again different different chunks of time because with a, a 30 year span, I mean there are so many different. I mean even within the Grateful Dead. 30-year span of the incarnation of that band, there are so many um, chapters, you know, in that story. Absolutely. Very cool. So what we, you selected, we, I, we did not, you selected, um, <laughs> I am downloading, but you selected Lost Sailor in the same circumstance. So this is right after, this is Go to Heaven's Fairly New, and uh, so this is like the hot new shit at the time. Yeah, uh, you know, I hadn't really been hearing it, then you know, the, the dead tapes and the uh, music that I would listen to, and you know, I love Jerry Garcia, but I also love Bob Weir, and this just this song to me um, highlighted all the good things about Bob Weir and his singing style, and 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 his partnership with John Barlow, I mean the songwriting, the dissonance, uh, it really just Lost Sailor just took me, and uh, took me on on its on its on its journey, and then uh, ending with Chain of Circumstance, which we would just dance our asses off once that came on. Well, what I usually try to do is do on a longer song, like a shorter version, but I think I'm going to, this podcast is going to run over a little bit because I, I just can't split that up. You know, you can't, I, I can't do part and not do all. So on, uh, on the other tracks, I'll do my, you know, three to five minute versions of them. And then, you know, of course, you have the companion only listening guide that's attached to the website for people who want the full version. But, you know, we're just going to, we're going to just go throw caution to the wind and we'll do the whole thing because uh, I wouldn't know where to edit, right? I don't know. You can't edit that with two songs. <laughs> well put. Go for it. Uneditable. Uneditable. So anybody who does not want to hear a full Lost Sailor in the same circumstance, you can kindly fast forward like ten minutes at this point because we're gonna we're gonna play the whole fucking thing and then uh, we'll do the smaller chunks of the other songs. So uh, I love this song too. This 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 uh, sequence and uh, so let's go into it and then uh, we'll be back. Thank you. 
Couple's car is spinning Helmet swinging to and fro Thank you. 
never knows now. But I'm gonna go for it for sure. So we just see which way she goes now. I'm sure don't know what I'm going for. and go a little bit, uh, we're still in the Northeast, a little bit down the journey. So tell me a little bit about your next uh, your next show. Well, you know, being the East Coast deadhead, uh, you know, summer tour, always spring tour, fall tour, there was always stuff going on on the East Coast. And uh, that, that Broome County Arena and Binghamton show set me off on tour. Um, 84, I saw a bunch of shows, but 85 and 86 are probably the height and 87, the height of the touring that I did. I mean, I, I saw pretty much every show that wasn't in California. Um, and 85 was such a fun year. Um, you know, things were kind of inside the band were looming a little darker, but um, us deadheads who didn't know or weren't in the know were just having a great time with these amazing shows at these amazing you know, outdoor venues during the summer. And one of them was uh, Hershey, um, 1985. And a uh, very special show for a lot of people. Um, there was a Tom Fun Blues that that day. There was a bunch of Jerry songs in a row. Um, just like now in Oakland today, where it's pouring, it was pouring at that show. And, um, you know, this summer tour is about, you know, summer and outside. Well, summer also in East Coast is about thunderstorms and so uh, they were rolling through but it didn't dampen anybody's uh, excitement for the show and the tour and uh, as as, uh, as uncomfortable as people could have been in the rain people were laughing, they were dancing, people just didn't care and we didn't care, we were having a great time and uh, when the show started and they kicked it off with cold rain and snow it was just like a little haha to everybody like yeah, right. yeah yep. so what so um, what, it's on Still dancing. Did it? Did it? Did it rain the whole show, or was it a, a temperamental East Coast rain, like where it came and went? It had uh, been threatening in the hours before the show, and then it unleashed right before the show, and then it, it rained pretty good uh, off and on during the show. There was a couple of breaks. I think toward the end of the show, it kind of moved out, but uh, right before the beginning of the show, it, it was a nice downpour, and that's when the van came on and burst into that, and it was just perfect. Uh, that's awesome. That is so fun. Well, let's uh, let's go listen to this. And I, I'm looking at this track, and it's only about five minutes. So uh, I think we might be uh, two for two in here with playing uh, the full version because it's kind of hard to edit a five-minute song. So uh, so I think, uh, <laughs> I think we might end up just doing the, the whole thing on this one, too. So um, I don't want to – I can't cut off, like, uh, the last, you know, minute or so of it. So I love it. Let's do it. It's a hot version. Uh, yeah, anything under six minutes, I usually end up spitting out the whole thing. So uh, so let's go and enjoy, and then we're going to come back, and we have uh, one more adventure that takes you out of the East Coast, and, uh, and uh, let's um, go from there. Sounds great. Everyone enjoy a little cold rain and snow. Um, lots of that going on around the U.S. in this uh, January, uh, January day. 
Pennsylvania, and uh, and now you are going to go west, young man. So tell us a little bit about uh, what went down in 1987. Well, we discussed uh, kind of 
uh, getting into touring and touring on the East Coast, never seeing really any California shows. Well, that changed in late 1986 when I did fly out to see uh, some shows at Henry J. Kaiser and then part of the uh, uh, New Year's Eve run. Um, and then went back to New York after that New Year's Eve run and decided then and there I am going to move to the West Coast and, uh, and, and move to San Francisco. It's time. And uh, I was done with with uh, college pretty much. It was the summer of 1987 and we had uh, our summer tour tickets and I took off from New York, picked up my friends in Chicago and we drove right to Red Rocks and uh, saw every show on that tour. Um, the Red Rocks was my first time and it was it was like going to church. It was phenomenal the first time seeing a show at Red Rocks. And uh, I believe it was two nights there, maybe it was three nights there. And then there was uh, two shows in Telluride, and uh, on tour, kind of the word was, oh, don't go to Telluride, don't have a ticket, it's going to be very, very harsh there, they're not letting anybody in, and and uh, it was just, you know, kind of like, but people were putting the word out, because the scene was starting to really uh, grow, and there's a lot of people at the shows uh, that didn't have tickets and, and uh, were hanging out, and so... And was that a much smaller venue, I would imagine, too? Because Red Rocks is pretty is pretty substantial. It, it, it's substantial, but it's no, um, you know, hockey it's arena. I mean, it's, it's less yeah. than twenty thousand people, probably. But, but was Cal Park Telluride? Was that sounds like that might have been pretty small, right? Well, it sounded it. No idea. Telluride is in a box canyon. <laughs> There's one way in and one way out, and wow. so. I think this uh, like word that spread on tour about, oh, don't go, don't go. If you don't have a ticket, it's going to be tough. I think that was spread by the dead because, you know what? We got to Telluride. It was like a, it was like a, a magical weekend. We went to the shows. There was nobody taking tickets. They were playing in the town uh, park. You just walked into the wow. park. And wow. so I, I think they were just kind of trying to uh, get people who didn't have tickets not to come because I don't think they were really going to be able to manage it there. So the, the shows at Telluride, which were the first show at Telluride, was my uh, 100th Dead show. And it was also the harmonic convergence, uh, whatever was going on with that at the time. And uh, you know, Baba Olatunji was uh, having a drum circle in the morning uh, of the shows. Um, you know, Kingfish was playing in the, um, the bars in town. It's an old western wow. you know, uh, town. Uh, Bill Graham was walking down the street. I mean, you could. See, I mean, it was really like uh, the dead were enjoying it as much as anybody. Um, so it was a very special show, and it was literally in the town square where the show was. Yeah, town park. It's in town park. So I mean, teeny tiny, huh? I mean, that's that is so awesome. <clears throat> teeny tiny, and uh, you know, it, it was just a wonderful experience to be up in this amazing, amazingly beautiful place with. All your friends and your your deadhead community and the and the band and uh, uh, the shows were good. They, they're probably not the best shows on tour. Um, Jerry even said from the stage, "Ooh, this altitude is killing me," you know. But uh, and it was. It's up there. But uh, the, the whole show and, and the Grateful Dead scene is not just about the music. It's the show. It's the people. It's the set list. It's the things that happen and the, and the relationships that you have with people to get to spend time with. And, um, you know, the song that I picked um, from these shows, is, you know, Far From Me is a Brent song, and I wanted to give a nod to Brent because Brent was such a big part of uh, the Grateful Dead experience for me, and I, and I love Brent. Um, you know, I know from listening to the, the music prior to my first show, you know, about Pigpen and about uh, Keith Gottschow and Tom Constantine and... I was aware, but I never would have a chance to see them live. And so my first experience was with Brent. And Brent caught my attention from the very first moment. I mean, he had that, that kind of Greg Almond vibe, his vocals, his mm -hmm. way of playing. He had really leaned into the organ and the keyboards when he played, and it just blew me away. And so I wanted to give a little nod to Brent because uh, he, for my Grateful Dead experience, I mean, he was a huge, huge part. Yeah, right on. No, I, I mean, I, 
I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more and uh no I mean just really special and that was uh I mean 87 was really probably like when he was really hitting his prime where he was you know writing and 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 doing a lot of leads and um I mean his playing as the close of the of the 80s was tremendous and and I've talked about this with others on podcasts like almost a swan song when you listen to without a net but um but, you know, it was, um, there was so much pain. And I, probably in 87, it was a little clearer. It was probably before, really, all the shit hit the fan. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I was always a hot seat with the band. And the uh, guy was with the band more than a keyboardist, but he was always kind of felt, you know, maybe like the new guy. And a lot of big shoes to fill. And uh, who knows, you know, people have their demons, and he, he certainly had his. And uh, but he, But he made a lasting, lifelong impression on, on me and uh that entire oh, tour totally brent, brent was ripping that entire tour and uh but that's when i was making my way to move to the bay area and, and that the entire tour i landed in the bay area and i mean you know brent was as much responsible for that as jerry bob and, uh, and everybody else well you know in, in in hindsight 2020 and all of that like in looking at things now um you know oh gosh 87 it's, two, it's 30 years ago right it's 2017 oh and when I, I right, <laughs> yeah, 30 years ago and when you talk to people now and when I talk to other deadheads which again I get the pleasure of doing so much Brent was I mean Brent comes up a lot on this podcast and Brent really was it took him a, it was one of those you know was the the outcast or the new guy but after the fact, you know, he was so important to so many people's experience. And, and really, I mean, I think he was definitely a, a post-mortem, like, oh, my God, where would this, you know, this whole experience, this whole chunk of time have been without him? Because I, I, he does, definitely resonates with me, what you're saying. And, um, and from speaking to people on this podcast, um, I mean, I think that the feeling is, is uh, I think the feeling is uh, out there with many. It definitely is, and uh, he meant a lot to a lot of people. And uh, you can see by what you know, tragically when he when he passed, you know, the band played on, and they they did their best to fill the position with with uh, you know Vince Romick, competent, uh, wonderful guy. Um, and he had big shoes shoes to fill. It's Bruce Hornsby, an yeah. amazing talent and artist in his own right. Uh, big shoes to fill. Little Brent's shoes, and you know, and Brent was. Really up and coming as a songwriter, really contributing Grateful Dead when he, um, in, in, in the Bay Area. I mean, you you had him on the podcast a little while ago, but uh, Scott Guberman is a great, great uh, player who who does a fine tribute to to Brent. So I'm always glad to to hear Scott play uh, Brent songs. So it's still still alive and well, the spirit. Oh yeah, no, I get very meaningful. And what did we play? Uh, we played uh, uh, We Can Run. Uh, him playing, Scott playing yeah. on. Um, I think it was at the Berkeley Music Festival, and I played We Can Run on last week, po- two weeks ago's podcast. So yeah, I mean, great stuff, you know. And in this podcast, the selection is the guest. Like, what do you want to hear? And um, yeah, people want to hear them. Great shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. Well, let's uh, let's go into this. Let's hear far from me. And I'm looking at my list, and it's. Four minutes and 21. So, I mean, I think we're just going to, like, we'll still do the companion only, but I think we're going to, like, roll out full versions of all the songs. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's no way I'm cutting a four-minute song. And one thing I will add is a little side commentary to you saying that they weren't feeling so good. What's what's interesting in looking at this concert um, and the timing is that there wasn't any long jams. I mean, I think, like, a nine-minute song was the longest one. All of the songs were... Four, five, six, seven—they were all like more songs than long jams. So I bet that might have been indicative to how Jerry was feeling with that altitude. Yeah, I think the altitude was definitely having uh, an effect on on Jerry. Maybe some of the other band members. Um, um, it's up there. It's pretty. Yeah, they high. didn't bite off more than they could chew, though. No, they didn't. You know, like I'm looking here, and it's like five minutes, six minutes, eight minutes. You know, so uh, so good for them, right? They're just like, let's just like jam a song out. But uh, I can. Uh, it's it's interesting, as you said, that I was looking up at the at the, at the time of the list, and um, true that, man, true that on uh, on what they must have been feeling that day. So uh, let's listen to Far From Me, and then we're going to come back, and we'll do a little goodbye, and um, everybody enjoy. Sweet.
uh, close to nine years, and we got married just in May. So she's my partner in crime. She does a dinner and show uh, gigs with me, and uh, we do a ton. We see a ton of live music together, and, and that's our thing. We love it. Ah, well, good for you. Mazel to you. And I, I also was just saying, I'm so homesick. I think that that little trip home, that weekend in Marin, my weekend at the Marin Lodge, my uh, my girlfriends came to visit me and said I seemed like a runaway. <laughs> they were like, are you moving here? I had my three nights there. And uh, and I, they, it was like my little apartment, like I'm a running away from my family out here in, in uh, Massachusetts. And I think the Marin Lodge would be a good place to hide out for a little while. Um <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, it's a great little, great little bungalow spot up there. It had everything I needed. It was, uh, it was awesome. It was a great, uh, you know, little plug for anyone who's going to uh, see some shows at, you know, Terrapin or Sweetwater, and you're looking for a place to stay. I have no affiliation, but Marin Lodge, clean, nice, accommodating, and I think it was like a hundred bucks a night. So um, there you go. So there you go, Marin Lodge. Good spot to stay for your Marin vacation needs. But um, anyways, well, this was so fun. And you're heading off to New Orleans. So, like, yeah, all yeah. good for you coming up in January. So have fun. Yeah, thank you. You know, seeing live music is uh, what we do. And uh, we're going to go see uh, the Radiators reunion uh, three nights at Tempatina's. We love New Orleans, and we love the Radiators. And a lot of crossover fans uh with uh with the radiators so uh with deadheads and and, and rats fans fish heads as they're called not to be uh, confused with the uh fans of fish but radiator fans are called fish heads and uh looking forward to it it's going to be a great great weekend well safe travels have the best time and uh and, and I'm, I'm excited to be friends and be in touch and uh and see you uh open out in june when i'm home so uh so i know we'll uh, hopefully be in touch before and we'll uh definitely get a chance to see each other next time i make it out to the golden state sounds great looking forward to it thanks a lot for having me on and uh for all the work you do on this podcast it's awesome Oh, it's really fun. Thank you. All right, everyone. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.